0: If you have your Bibles with you today, please open up to the book of Ephesians. if you'll stand, we're just going to read the first two verses. If not, we're going to have it on the screen here for you. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless this small but important reading of his word today. Please have a seat. If you've ever known somebody who becomes a new Christian and they get really excited about it, they might come to you and ask you a question that you might feel ill-prepared to answer. So just start thinking about it now. The question you might get asked is, now that I'm a Christian, where should I start reading in the Bible? Should I start with Genesis and just go all the way through? You know, where, where should I start to learn more about Jesus and more about my new faith? a great question i think we need to always be prepared to answer it and you can never go you can't really answer this question wrong yes you can you can completely answer the question wrong you don't send them to lamentations or revelation first they're good books of the bible they have their place but probably what you want to do is first send them to what a gospel you want them to read about jesus so send them to matthew mark luke or john say read a gospel but then after that what should they read There's a lot of pastors, theologians, Christians, we all differ on the answer to this. Some people might say, well, have them read Acts next. Have them read the story of the early church to find out more about their their heritage and what the Holy Spirit has done in the church. That's a good answer. Or what about Romans? Have them get into a deep, heavy uh, dissection of their salvation. Go to Romans. Or maybe, you know, I heard Pastor Justin preach on the Psalms for what felt like five years so maybe they should go to the Psalms and, and find out about the character of God. Not wrong answers. But I'll tell you what I usually answer. When I, somebody asks me, after the Gospels, what should I read as a new Christian? And I say, you should definitely read the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians. I always feel like this is a, such a must for new Christians to read. For starters, it's a relatively short book. It's Just six chapters, 155 verses. In fact, you could stand up and read the entire book of Ephesians from start to end out loud in about 20 minutes. That's pretty short for a book of the Bible, 20 minutes. But within those 155 verses, it's just this beautifully constructed view of Christianity. It's a wonderful overview. It's like Ephesians is like taking a Ferris Ferris wheel up at a fair. You ever take one of those, not the little, little dinky ones, the really big ones. And you go up to the top, and suddenly you see the landscape just unfold around you. You get this bird's eye view, sort of, of everything around you. And that's what Ephesians is. It's taking a Ferris wheel ride up to the top of Christianity and seeing the landscape of our faith all around us. You get a great bird's eye view of what we believe and why we believe it. It's a letter that's really easy to read, and for people like me, I like that it's easy to understand. It's very straightforward. I appreciate that. Some theologians have called Ephesians a crash course in theology. You ever want to you know, get a one-on-one course in, in theology of what you believe about God? Go to Ephesians. In fact, within the book of Ephesians, within those six chapters, are a whopping 27 teachings on basic Christianity. I mean, Paul could have like structured this as a list, you know, listed a bullet point list and headed it, 27 essential things you need to know about your new life as a Christian. 27 things. We're going to be looking at those, those teachings. Even the structure of Ephesians is pretty simple. It's divided almost evenly. The first three chapters are all about what Christ has done for us. And the second half of the book is all about what Christ wants us to do in our lives for him. So what Christ has done for us now, what he wants us to do for him, how he wants us to live. But if you had to sum up Ephesians in one word, one core word that defines the entire book, that word would be identity. The book of Ephesians is all about our identity in Christ. Now that we've become Christians, what does our identity look like? What does it mean to live a life in Christ? To put on Christ. How does that differ from how we used to live in our lives? now that we have this. That's what we find out when we read Ephesians. I love that all of Ephesians is both personal and practical. It's, a very, it's all about us, but it's about us in a very practical way. I don't want to just be learning about God. I want to know how I can take that and put it into practice on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of my week. And that's what we find out as well here in Ephesians. I'm really nervous about saying this next thing, but I'm going to say it anyways. As we begin our series looking through this book, I want to issue a challenge to all members of Knox Church. This is my challenge. It's a big one. But for the entirety of this series, before you come to church on Sunday, at some point during the week, I want you to read the entire book of Ephesians once a week, every week, until we're done with the sermon series. Again, it's short. It should not take you that long to read it. But what I want us to do is to get this overview of Ephesians every week and then we're going to come and we're going to look at just a small part of it. But I want us to start putting Ephesians on our hearts. I think that the more we read it and reread it, the more we're going to start finding out, we're going to memorize it without realizing. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be very fruitful. So that's my challenge to you. Find a time during the week and read through all of Ephesians and then come to church on Sunday and we're going to see if we can keep that up. But for the rest of our time here today, I want to look at these first two verses, how Paul opens this book, this letter to us. Now, Paul was a well-educated Jew. He had like a, an equivalent of a Ph.D. in theology. And he was also a Pharisee. Something to keep in mind when you read all those Gospels and you hear all these stories about the Pharisees over and over again. That was Paul. Paul was part of that group opposed to Jesus. And he was so opposed to Jesus... That he made it his mission to heavily persecute the early church. And a lot of us know the story about when he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church there, Christ Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Saul, Saul, that was his early name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had a bit of a heart to heart with Jesus. And at that point, he became converted and he devoted the rest of his life to Christ. He became a missionary did three gigantic missionary journeys across um, the world as they knew it at that time. And he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's what Jesus Christ coming into your life can do. That's how he can take you and transform you in incredible ways. Later on in his missionary journeys, Paul found himself imprisoned in Rome for two years. For two years, he was under house arrest as he waited to go on trial for his faith. So during those two years, he was shackled to a Roman guard. I have to imagine he got to know this guy really well over two years. And he wrote four of his letters. Those are what we call the prison letters. Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and uh, Philippians. So he wrote those prison letters during that time, and Ephesians is one of those letters that he wrote while he was shackled to a guard, waiting a trial in which, for all he knew, he was going to die. Now, the fact that Paul identifies himself as an apostle in verse 1 is of supreme importance for everything else we're going to read here. Now, an apostle is not a disciple. We made that point in when we looked at Mark, but I want to make it again because I think it's something a lot of Christians just conflate one with the other. A disciple is a student. Jesus Christ had many disciples. Hopefully, you are in a disciple of Jesus. But Jesus only had a handful of apostles. An apostle was somebody that Jesus specifically commissioned to go out for him and speak on his behalf. He initially had the 12 apostles, and then he added Paul to that behalf. These apostles were Christ's emissaries, and they were granted special permission, special authority, special power to go out and proclaim, to speak on the behalf of Jesus. So when they spoke, Christ spoke through them. And that's important when we get to a letter like this, where Paul says, hi guys, I am an apostle. And as an apostle, I am writing you these words. That should make us sit up and take notice of what's about to come. The teachings of the apostles were therefore the teachings of Christ. And we don't get the luxury as Christians to get to pick and choose which apostles we like and which apostles we don't. We don't get to say, well, I don't really like that Paul fellow, so I'm not going to read his stuff, but I like James, and I like Luke, and I like uh, John, and I'm going to read and listen to his. In fact, when Jesus, in Matthew, he spoke of the apostles in Matthew and Luke, and he said, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. We've got to be very clear, very careful that we're not rejecting apostles. Because if we do that, we're also rejecting the word of Jesus. And that's what this is. The book of Ephesians is what Jesus wants you to know and what he wants you to do. He's speaking through Paul. He says, guys, this is straight from me, through my chosen servant. But this is my message for you. This is Jesus Christ speaking to you. It's not Paul. It's not paul's ego it's not his will in fact he points to god here in verse one He says this is god's will that i'm an apostle not my own i didn't work for it i didn't apply to do it jesus called me i'm doing his will and i now i'm giving you his letter so as christians when we see that word that somebody's an apostle and they're writing you a letter we need to listen humbly and we need to listen closely about what's to come. I think that makes me really excited to know that Jesus wrote me a letter. And this is the letter he wants me to hear and understand. Now, Ephesians as a letter is quite interesting for what it is not. Most letters in the New Testament are what we call task theology. It's a fancy way of saying those letters were written for a purpose. They were written either to address a situation maybe in the church, some some big problem that's happening in the church. An apostle would write a letter to address that situation and help clear it up. Or that letter might have been written for task theology to answer a question that the church might go, we really don't understand this. Can you write back and help explain it? And so a lot of the letters of the New Testament are, are written to address situations or address questions not Ephesians. Ephesians was most likely written as a circular letter, that Paul wanted to write a letter to all churches everywhere of all time with general topics that would benefit them all. And so when we read Ephesians, it's kind of like it sounds very modern to our ears. It sounds like it could have been written to Knox Church today, and that's because it's a circular letter format. Now, even though Ephesians was written to multiple churches, it was primarily written to the church in Ephesus, so it it helps us understand a bit more about the situation the church was in at that time. Now, Ephesus was a great city in Greece. It was right there on the banks of the Keister River and had four major crossroads that went right into it. So almost all the world would travel through Ephesus, and as a result, Ephesus just boomed. It was a huge city. In fact, it was, at the time, the fourth or fifth largest city in the entire world. And that was Ephesus. And because it was so big, it was not just a, a center of trade and commerce. It was also a center of religion. The Roman emperor cult, the people would praise and worship the emperor, had a huge following in Ephesus. People would say, go out and praise Caesar Augustus and say, Great is Caesar Augustus. He is the Lord and Savior of the world. But Ephesus also had another claim to fame. It was host to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Okay, for those of trivia knowledge out there, what was the ancient wonder of the world that was located in Ephesus? The statue of Diana in the temple of Artemis. Yes, and it was just beautiful. Today, a small bit of a pillar remains. That's all that remains of this wonder of the ancient world. But at that time, that temple was a big deal. People would go there. They would worship. And so it was a a huge controversy at the time when the church got planted, and all these newfangled Christians started coming out saying that Jesus Christ, not Artemis, not Diana, not Caesar Augustus, Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior of the world, and he didn't want to be worshipped with statues. Well, that was a big problem because a lot of people made money off of selling statues and selling trinkets and selling all this re- religious memorabilia, and so they got so incensed at people, of the tradesmen of uh, Ephesians of Ephesus, that they actually incited a riot against Christians. And the the rioters, the mob, they dragged Christians out of their homes. They took them over to this. You can all read about it in Acts 19. They brought them over to the amphitheater where Paul actually used to preach. And for two hours they gathered all the Christians in the center, and for two hours the mob shouted at them. And say he said, Greatest Artemis of Ephesus! Greatest Artemis of Ephesus! They shouted at them over and over again, Say, Your God is small, our God is great. Yet the Christian church endured, it persevered, and it grew. And it was really cool to see that. In fact, Paul spent three years of his life just helping to plant and nurture the churches in Ephesians, in Ephesus. So That's why he has such a a heart to write back to them. So as they're growing, Paul is obviously wanting, even from afar, even while he's in, in shackles, he wants to encourage the church. He wants to help them grow in their faith. And so he writes to them this letter. And at the beginning of the letter, he writes about who they are as believers. He writes this threefold definition, three definitions, of what believers are. I love that because it's so easy for us to just read right past it very quickly. But first he says, Christians are saints. Now that's a little confusing to us today because in our language, in our society, a saint is what? It's a, a perfect person or a wonderful person. That Oh, she's a saint. You know, that, or they think they're such a saint. That's not a biblical definition of a saint. A saint in the Bible is simply somebody that God has set apart for himself. Somebody that Jesus took, moved from the unbelieving side of the board over to the believing side of the board and so these are now my people. My people. In fact, it was kind of a bit of a stir in the early church that Paul would dare call the Ephesians saints. Because throughout the entire Old Testament, who were the saints? Who were the people set apart who are the chosen people? Only the Jews. Only the Israelites. And now Paul has the uh, temerity to say that Jews and Gentiles, anybody who believes in Christ Jesus, is a saint. They're moved over there. Christians are saints. But second, Paul says that the followers of Christ are faithful. They don't just hear the word. You come to church on Sunday, you're hearing the word. You're hearing the word read. You're hearing it proclaimed. But it is much different to just from hearing it to go out and faithfully enacting it in your life. And that's what divides a non-believer from a believer. Lots of non-believers hear the word. Believers hear it and do what it says. And that's what Paul is saying. You, you believers are faithful. And he's praising God that they're so faithful. But third, Paul defines believers as those... Who are in Christ who are in Christ he'll go into this in greater depth in the rest of the letter but for right now what you need to understand is that for those of us who are joined in Christ whatever is true for Jesus is true for us so if Jesus is righteous we are righteous because we are in Christ if Jesus has an inheritance in heaven we have an inheritance in heaven Because we are in Christ. We have joined together with Christ. And that's something Paul is going to go into. But he starts right here in the very first verse. And from these definitions of what believers are, that we are set apart as saints, that we are faithful, and that we are in Christ, we see that there is a great gulf in who Christians are and who the rest of the world is. This week, I want you to start... Just start mulling over, hopefully, as you read the book of Ephesians. Keep your eye out for this theme of identity, who we are. He mentions over and over again this phrase, in Christ. Keep this thing, start thinking about it in your own life. Who am I? What does it mean for me to be in Christ? What does it mean for me to be a Christian? How does that change my identity and how I see myself? But starting in the second verse, Paul begins this prayer for the people. And we shouldn't read it as something that's just very boring and monotone. It's a very exuberant prayer. He's excited. He can't wait to talk to me. This is full of joy as he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this letter is not from Paul ultimately. It is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ever wanted to get a letter in the mail from Jesus to you, how do you want that letter to begin? I don't think you could get a better starting to that letter than for Jesus to say to you, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. It's what we truly need in our lives. Again, I, this might be one of those things at the beginning of the letter, we're like, we're not even to the good stuff yet, Pastor Justin. I want to get to the good stuff, so I'm going to really read very quickly pass this. But slow down and look at those words, grace and and peace, and that God wants to give you both of those, because these are very important blessings for our lives. Grace is God's favor and love that he gives to you. He doesn't charge you anything for it. He doesn't give it to you because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, not because you're better than anybody else. He gives you this grace of love and favor, because his own love drives him to do it. He loves you so very much that he says, I want to give you this grace, this gift of grace, this gift of salvation. It is yours if you want to take it. I'm standing out with my hands held out. All you have to do is just take it into your lives, And I will give you this grace. That grace is what's possible, what makes it possible for you to be saved. So for Paul to say grace to you, he's talking about your salvation. He's talking about what redeems you. He wants you to have that. But once you have that grace of salvation, what happens next is once you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in your life. He lives in your life for the rest of your, your days here on earth so that you always have God with you. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he brings you peace. Now, that peace isn't a life free of conflict. And I think sometimes we wish each other grace and peace. We say that. It's kind of a holy hello in the church, isn't it? Grace and peace with you, well, also with you. And it's kind of just a nice way of saying, I like you, you're a good person, have a great life, I hope God smiles on you. But what what the true meaning, it's so much deeper. So When we say, peace be with you, we're not wishing that person would have a life free from conflict. I'm sorry, your life is going to have a lot of suffering. It's going to be tough. Paul knew that. Paul's life was certainly not a peaceful life he was hated he was ostracized he uh, was stoned he was flogged he was thrown in prison he was shipwrecked he was put on trial and ultimately paul was beheaded for his faith by the world standards that is not a peaceful life but the peace that paul talks about is the reconciliation between god and man that before we are saved we are enemies of god we have a broken relationship We are against God. Our relationship is all but non-existent. It is not a peaceful relationship. But when we have the grace of God come into our life, peace follows. And no matter what happens for the rest of our life, it's okay we can endure it because we have the peace of God. That feeling, that knowledge of knowing we are right with God. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, poorness, whatever happens in our life, it's okay because Christ has given us peace. And that's what I want for you today. We learned a lot about God's peace in the book of Ephesians. We're going to read about how the gospel is a gospel of peace in chapter 2, about how Christ binds the church together in peace in chapter 4. It's just great encouragement to hear Paul start this letter wishing that you, not just the church generic, but that you specifically would have grace and peace. And that's my encouragement for you today, that you would have been made right with God. Maybe you don't feel that in your life, or maybe you know that, you don't have, that you're not right with God. You don't have that peace, but man, it sounds good. almost sounds too good to be true. But again, I'm not lying when I say God is holding it out to you, that all you have to do is say one sentence, say, God, come into my life, bring that grace, bring that peace, and he will transform you. And he's going to bring a peace into your life that you you don't know how great it is until you experience it. And it just gets greater every way. So that's my encouragement for you today. And if you have that grace and peace, go out today and celebrate. You have a reason to smile. I can't see if you're smiling right now. I don't know why, but I hope you are. Because you have grace and peace in your life. And that means... There's nothing that can take it away from you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these encouraging and motivating opening words of your letter to us here in Ephesians. Lord, we got so much more to go and so much to take out of this letter, but I just pray that your wisdom and your guidance would be in the middle of all of this preparation, all this listening to this sermon series that we would come to a deeper understanding of who we are in you, of how you give us grace and peace, and how you lead us to learn about how we should live our lives in real and practical ways. But Lord, I just want to thank you for this gift of this one book. Even if all we had was this one book of Ephesians, Lord, it would still be such a treasure. And we just thank you for that today. And all God's people said, amen. Paul serves as such an example for us, as Justin mentioned, of a saint being someone who goes from this side of the non-believing board to this side of the believing board. And maybe our story doesn't involve getting knocked off a horse with Jesus calling out, asking why we persecuted him, but we've all gone from there to here and where we are now. And now we stand united as the church. And as we read about coming up in this this. Uh, this week about the church and Paul writing a letter to the church. It's a privilege and an honor to be the church now. And what a beautiful passing of the baton as we'll read and study that Paul has offered us grace and peace through the, our Lord Jesus Christ to his church and we are now the church of Christ being offered grace and peace from the one Lord we have Jesus Christ. And it's in that name that we go. Go in peace. We love you and we'll see you again next week.